Hey folks, welcome back to the Climbing Business Journal podcast. I'm Holly Chen. I'm a contributing writer at CBJ and I'll be your host in today's episode. With the Climbing Business Journal podcast, we hope to empower and inspire professionals in the climbing industry. Today's guests are the founders and organizers of Siege Climbing. Siege Climbing is a competition series set for and by women, non-binary, and gender minorities in the community. We have Hannah Barker, pronoun she, her, founder of Siege Climbing. Hannah is deep in a competition setting scene and she works to mentor and uplift other underrepresented people in the industry. We also have Jara Chang, pronoun she, he, they. Jara is the head root setter and maintenance man at Vertical Ventures. Jara has set throughout the Southeast and is currently finishing up internships towards her L3 this USA climbing season. Last but not least, Haley Moran, pronoun she, her. Haley is an L3 route setter and advocator of the professionalization of the route setting industry. Siege has finished up their first season in the competitions and is now diving into the second. Before we begin, a word from our sponsors, without whom CBJ and this podcast would not be possible. Trango has designed innovative gear since 1991 for every kind of climbing, including sport, trad, bouldering, alpine, ice, and mountaineering. They make everything a climber needs. For climbing walls, Trango holds have been staples worldwide for 20 years. Their rock prodigy is one of the planet's most popular hangboards. They also distribute Tanaya shoes in North America. Learn more at trango.com. Vertical Solutions leads the evolution of rock climbing gyms through their passion for climbing and tangible artistry. They proudly produce walls, floors, hold from multiple brands, and offer consultation. Superior craftsmanship and unparalleled aesthetics, Vertical Solutions pushes the boundaries of what a climbing gym can be, bringing exceptional projects to life from start to finish. Learn more at vsclimbinggyms.com. Can you tell us a little bit more about Siege, its origins, histories, and how it came to be? So basically what happened was at the end of 2020, I wanted to have a female-only comp at my gym, which was the crag at the time. I expected it to be pretty small because, you know, we were still in quarantine. Not a lot of people were traveling. And basically what happened was the week of the comp, I went from 10 or 15 people registered to like 45 and lots of people were traveling from different cities and different states. So what that told me was, wow, there's like a really big need for this in our community. And a lot of people in different gyms are maybe not getting this type of programming. And so from there, also later that year, Hannah and I set our first event together. We found each other through Instagram and we were like, hey, I'm a headsetter. You're a headsetter. Let's maybe do a setter swap because we wanted to set uh, with more women. Both of us were used to setting on all male crews. And so then from there, Hannah had the idea. Hannah? So I was working at a gym in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I had the idea of doing a women's comp with an all-women setting crew. I was super excited for that. And at the time, we had two other females on my crew. So I had three in-house female setters. And then I had met Jara at a different comp that season. And so I asked Jara and Haley if they wanted to come up for this comp at the gym. We called it Queen's Cup. And it was our first time doing the all-female comp with an all-female setting crew. 
and it went super great. Um, we had like a really great turnout. And from there, we all just were kind of like, I want to do it at my gym. I want to do it at my gym. And like, we just wanted to keep doing it. So we kind of rallied together for the next year and put together a series where we went to different gyms and kept it all female crew and all female non-binary setters and competitors. That's great. I think it's something that we really need to see in the community. I kind of want to roll back, you know, turn back to time a little bit and look back at your careers with you guys. So what were some of the barriers that you all faced as you progressed as a setter and whether that influenced or inspired you to create Siege? So I first obviously was just a normal climber and I learned about route setting and the crew at the time, it was quite large and maybe there may have been like one or two female setters were very irregular. Everybody was like, I mean, back in the day, it was just kind of like everybody was a guest setter at that point. The head setter was male. And the only way I was even able to get my foot in the door was because I had the support of other females in the gym that were like in, like one of them was the wife of the owner. Like basically they were running like a women's clinic and I verbalized my interest and they kind of like let me, like they talked to whoever was in charge and like they kind of shoved me in there. Cause otherwise it was like, you had to, basically begged to be on the crew. You had to like pressure wash for like forever and maybe you'll get on the, I mean, there are just all these things that you had to like climb a certain grade and like you had to like know people who know people and you had to be, not only that, you had to be like super strong and like there wasn't like an official way to like be part of the crew really. And once even I was on, it was like, there's no organization really. It was just like, this guy and he was great, you know, but I was lucky enough that Mel, one of the other female setters, like took over after him. And it wasn't until she even like helped me get into championship events that I was even able to get that kind of experience after already like three years of like route setting commercially and like trying to get on those crews was like almost impossible, basically without any kind of an in. I think that's a career path that a lot of setters resonate with. It's just, there's no standardized path and it's something that we definitely want to change in the industry. What about you guys, uh, Haley and Hannah? I think for me, I knew from the time that I set my first comp that competition, competition setting is like really where I thrive and what I loved. But my overall personality is like pretty silly and I found myself in like this comp environment where the people that were respected and rewarded were the strongest in the room, the most serious in the room. And it didn't necessarily matter what the results of the comp were. It like mattered how serious you were, how strong you were. And it wasn't until I started, you know, setting these events with Hannah, I really felt like I could be myself. I could laugh. I could be silly. And, you know, we had great results. And I felt like I like authentically got to be myself. And when I got to be myself, I could see that also through my route setting, right? I wasn't trying to set these moves that were awkward for me to like impress someone or the crew or try to 
network in a way that didn't feel like myself because I was trying to, you know, promote myself through the industry. It just felt like the more and more I sat with women, the more route setting became a lot more fun for me. And I think that we could see that in the results of the comp too, that the competitors were also having a better time. I really like that philosophy. Sometimes I personally also think that setting is just taken a little bit more too seriously. And the goofier we are on the crew, it reflects in our sets and it reflects with how much the members enjoy it. And sure, we can have some serious types of setting here and there, but it's good to have a little bit of a wider range of sets and types of movement that we might see. And Haley, you brought up a really good point, the inability to be yourself when you feel like you're, you know, the visibility and the spotlight is on you because you're a gender minority on a crew. What is something else that's widely represented demographic might not know about? I think that like we each have like stories of things that we have had to do or haven't gotten that a lot of our male colleagues have gotten. I know, for example, I'll just share like one of my personal stories. I don't know if Haley and Jara will feel comfortable sharing theirs or not, but it was the year after COVID. So it was the year that USA Climbing was doing their like combined divisionals, regionals comps. And I was already on the crew for three comps, two ropes, one boulder. I already had my L2, so I was trying to get an internship so that I could get my L3 that season. And it was weird because typically you have to go to divisionals to do your internship to get your L3. I was like, oh, I don't even know if they're doing them this year then because like there's no divisionals. And so I emailed and emailed and emailed, no response, no response, no response. And then like, lo and behold, they were doing them. And I just didn't know because I had like never been told one way or the other, like what was actually going on. So then I asked if I could do one of the internships at in one of the events that I was already on the crew for. And I was told no. So basically I like missed an entire year of potential like advancement in the USAC levels because of this. And I know many other male setters who were granted this opportunity, like whether it was this year, whether it was like the following year or this year, there were people who were given the opportunity to do exactly what I asked, but I was told no. You know, maybe it was because they were friends with somebody. Maybe it's because of other reasons. I'm not really sure. But I had no way to know. And really, like, I was so outside of, like, the boys club and had was so outside of, like, being able to be connected with the people who are in charge that, like, I was never able to, like, actually figure out, like, why, what happened and, like, where the miscommunication came from basically. Do you think this is because the same opportunities are not offered to everyone? Yeah. And I think it's hard to like when, like when I first started route setting, I was really lucky because I had like a really good mentor that helped me like when I was first getting into it. But at the same time, I was always the only female on the crew and I was constantly they would be talking about, people on the crew would be talking about, oh, so-and-so, he teaches this. And if you need to do this, you have to talk to him and him and him. 
And I was constantly like, well, who's that? Well, who's that? Well, who's that? And so it's just this like tight knit circle of like people and like to break into the circle is like really hard. And I think that everybody can relate to like when they're with their friends or when they're with a group where they feel like they're included and they're represented that like, you don't feel that way. It's not really like that right now for like women in route setting. Most of the time, like we are the sole person on a crew or we're the sole person like doing an event and we're the ones like who have to work really hard to like fit into the group to feel included, et cetera, et cetera. Hannah's thoughts made me uh, like kind of come full circle when she's talking about, you know, saying like, who's that, who's that, who's that? I think the three of us at one point before we found each other, we felt like that all the time. And then when the three of us connected, we started a group chat and then it made things much easier because if one of us saw an email, we were able to be like, what does this mean? Who do I need to call? Et cetera, et cetera. And now that we've had, you know, four siege comps, that group message is now like 17 people wide. And so if one of us gets an email from USA Climbing that needs clarification or someone needs a contact, we're able to contact all 17 of those route setters and be like, okay, here's what's happening. Here's who you need to contact. Here's how to get on the crew. Here's how to update your resume with the comps that you've set this season. And so that's the thing that I've been the most proud of with Siege is our ability to create this inner network to help get people through those doors and get people contacted with the people who they need to contact. So it's not just this like, oh, if you don't know this one guy, because it's always going to be one guy, you're out of luck. We're able to kind of figure out how to wave through the maze and help to get these other um, setters who were earlier in their career, get them advanced a lot quicker than if they were on their own before the siege comps. I really like that. I think a lot of people don't recognize how hard it is to form a support group or a network when you are not part of the widely represented. And sometimes you have to kick down the door and people may be holding it shut. Or in your case, you just open a door for yourselves. And I really like that. I want to kind of move on and I want to talk about Siege a little bit because this is such an important topic to talk about. Why do you guys think infinity groups or affinity competitions like Siege or others like Women Up are so important to the climbing community? What are some of the systematic structures still in place that make affinity groups so necessary in our sport? Because our sport is just a re- an inner working of the world we live in in itself. It just reflects anybody's day-to-day that in any sport, you can look at any major sport or small sport. Most of them are pretty male dominated. Even as a climber, you could go into a gym. And right now we see a lot more diversity than we did maybe five years ago, but as far as like women climbing, but when you look at competition level climbing, I mean, I just had a comp at my gym, like a rope comp at my gym, like a couple weeks ago. And we literally didn't have any advanced female climbers compete. And the most amount of climbers we had were intermediate males. Most of them were white guys, you know, which is like fine. But when you go to a gym and there's a comp and you don't see people like you competing, doesn't really make you want to compete. Doesn't doesn't make you feel competitive or anything, you know, even in just a friendly way. And because climbing and route setting are so intertwined, you could see the same thing happen in route setting, you know. So having these groups like show up 
and like show up for each other, whether it comes, I think are on setting crews. Like it's important to like see yourself in those crews and see people like you also thrive and like feel be challenged, you know? I think that's just one of the reasons. I really agree with that. I think people think climbing is insulated from the problems of society, uh, whether that be racism, sexism, or any of the issues that we're currently dealing with. And the reality is climbing is not. Climbing is a reflection of the world we live in. And in a case, because climbing is so niche, these problems might be even bigger than they appear. What are some affinity groups like Siege doing to alleviate the problems of inequity and safe access? I think that the biggest thing is that like we're creating those opportunities and we're putting them out there. If we're not creating the space and the opportunities for marginalized groups and like people who are underrepresented, like then they're not going to have an opportunity to even experience. So by creating environments that hopefully are more welcoming and more diverse and more comfortable, like you'll have people who are more willing to go outside of their box to try something new. I like that. If you're like, oh, I want to go try something that like scares me or that's like new, like you're not going to go with a bunch of people that you don't know that aren't like you, that you don't think will like support your opinion or like be supportive. Like you're like, oh, I want to go with my friends or I want to go with like my significant other, like somewhere where you feel safe and creating opportunities for people who don't usually have that in their environment and creating an environment where that is what it's like will help kind of like push people outside of their comfort zone and do things that maybe they wouldn't really normally do. And then they like it. They come to a siege comp, they feel like supported and they're not like fighting to get on a climb or they don't feel stupid for not knowing the rules, things like that. And then they're like, oh, I had a lot of fun doing that one comp. Like maybe I'll do it again. Or wow, that was so great. I'm hooked. I'm like 100% a climber now. I'm all in. I'm buying everything, the gear. Like I'm going to climb every weekend. You never know like what can happen until you like give somebody the opportunity to do something. For sure. It's just, you know, giving people the space to even try it out. Yes, the space, exactly. I think another way, just thinking about like barriers and all that jazz is just we strive when we're setting to, you know, make the beginner climbs just as exciting as the advanced climbs. So like we spend a lot of time, you know, mentoring the newer setters of like, okay, this is a V0 or a V1, but like this is how to make this movement something that makes the climber sing, give them a hero move that makes them feel like they're doing something maybe a little bit flashy or crazy, but that's like not super physically demanding. And climbers, they notice that they, they get that. They say to us, you know, like, wow, these climbs are really high quality or like, I've, I never thought I could do this move, but because you said it in this way, I felt like I could keep trying. And so I think we have a long way in route setting to go overall in, in regular commercial gyms of making easier comp climbs, you know, feel exciting. I think that everyone feels, you know, they got an equal part in it, no matter what uh, grade they climb. Absolutely. Climbing competitions typically gear towards fitting the boxes of the strongest climbers in that region or local community. But the reality is, everyone's time and everyone's enjoyments is 
something that we want to focus on. And when we can introduce a new kind of movement to someone who is beginning, it's just so satisfying. I'd love to piggyback off of what Haley said about making the beginner climbs like exciting and like just as important. And when I was thinking about Siege and like everything that I wanted it to kind of like be, I like would always think about how I felt like for the on-site finals at comps, the male finals were always the show. Everybody was like, so they were at the spotlight. They were like in the front, like they're doing all these like crazy moves. And then like the women were also doing the on-site finals, but they always felt not as cool, not as flashy, not as like front row and center. And also like in terms of the setting, like it was you set for comps and they're like, we got to make sure that, you know, the males are super competitive. We got to make sure that the finals are like hard enough and this and that. And then the female finals, you know, always just took like second seat kind of. And I just think it's great to be able to like highlight that and like put the female climbers like in the spotlight and they're the only ones on the wall. They are the star of the show and there's no, nothing like overshadowing them. And like, those are like, that's what we're spending time on. I like that. I think that's something that I and a lot of people really want to see. I'm hoping that I can make it to one of these siege comps this year just to witness the spectacle. Last year, when you guys were hosting, you mentioned that bringing on guest setters is really important to the competition. Why is that? Why siege? And what kind of environment are you hoping to create for these guest setters? From last year, we got so much feedback from the setters literally mid comp they'd be like i've never felt like this included or you know in my regular crew or this is the first time i felt like my opinion mattered and i think that even though our male colleagues may not always intend to make their female counterparts feel that way but it's i think the lack of just the lack of thought you know they might not even think that what they're how they're behaving or what they're whatever is how they're being is like making somebody feel that way, but that's because it doesn't, it's not the forefront of what they're thinking. So then when they come into a siege crew, they all of a sudden they're like, wow, this is what it feels like to be listened to with intention. And that was like our biggest, I think is like, we got along so well, even with people we have never worked with, like typically on crews, People will choose people that like they really, really know or are recommended by somebody that they know. But we like had never worked with like more than half of these these people. And for some reason we all got along just fine. So I think that was like a really big kind of lesson we learned, you know. I think that's a great thing. I heard you say intention, and I think that's a clear the emphasis of this whole comp here is the intention behind it and the space that you can create. Yeah, I think something I want to add is a lot of women and non-binary people, they think, you know, they can't do something just because they haven't been given the opportunity. And on every single crew that we had, we would always have a route setter who would say to us, hey, I don't want to set the V8 because I'm not allowed to do that in my gym. Or they would say, oh, I've actually never been given this assignment before. Like, I don't know how to do that. And for me, that was my cue of like, all right, friend, get your drill. You're setting a V8 in the steep, put your skeleton up and 
see how it goes. And then once you're ready, we're going to come and we're going to like talk you through what can change, what's great, X, Y, Z. And for me last season, like that's one of the biggest takeaways is just that like these head route setters are just, they're underestimating the talent that they have on their crews already. You know, they're not giving them assignments. They're limiting the materials that they get, right? Like until I was a head route setter, I was never allowed to set with fiberglass. I had no experience with fiberglass. And it wasn't until I became head setter and was like, oh, I guess I make the rules now. I can do whatever I want. And I just had to figure it out. And so I think by us giving these opportunities of, hey, go put that giant volume on the wall, figure it out, but I'll be over here if you need me. We're seeing a lot of people realize that, you know, they're smarter than they think they are. They're more creative than they think they are. They're stronger than they think they are. And that's all what we want, you know, out of the series is for people to realize their potential and to keep fighting for their voice to be heard and for those opportunities. I think that's a great point for people in leadership positions, whether you're man, woman, non-binary, it's something to think about. It's just giving people the opportunity to experiment and fail. That's the whole part of outsetting. And going to what you said about not being able to set a V8, that just sounds astounding to me. The whole point of outsetting is setting things that you might not want to climb, that you might not even touch, but it's understanding how to create that movement, even if you can't pull it off. It's the whole thing about route setting. It's creating movement. I don't understand that, but I like what you said about giving people the opportunity to prove themselves. And it's not something that is present in every setting crew. What do you think is lacking in a current competitive climbing and route setting environment that Siege provides? Anything else that you missed you want to add? Off of like what Haley said about opportunity, I think that that's like the biggest thing about guest setting. Like you, we're bringing in people who may not have the opportunity to do this at their own gym. So like if you're not bringing in a guest setter, then like how are they going to get that opportunity if you're not giving it to them? Like some people come from small gyms. Some people come from gyms who like are never going to host a USA C comp. So like how are they expected to like learn those skills? Like if their home gym isn't providing it for them. Like for us to create an environment where somebody can come in and have the opportunity and we can teach them, that's giving them the opportunity to learn those skills and they can like go outside of their gym to get that. Guest setting is all about like giving somebody opportunities that they're like not going to get at their own gym. I like that. Creating opportunities. It's honestly what this whole community is about. It's just giving people that space. So I know that underrepresented and marginalized setters all across the country have definitely taken notice of Siege. We know that this is a space that the community needs. Do you have any advice for setters out there who wish to join Siege or want to run an affinity competition at their own local crag? Yeah. So we're about to put out applications this week. But as far as like having an event at your own gym... We had a lot of people reach out to us after last season and tell us like, hey, you know, I want to do this at my gym, but I want to do like it's smaller scale. Do you have any advice? Blah, blah, blah. And every single time I would not even try to like text them. I would say, let's set up a call or a Zoom and you tell me everything you want to do. And, you know, we'll all tell you like what we learned, what you need to like protect yourself from logistics that maybe you haven't thought of, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think we've done that like five times now. 
And so just like offering either us come out and help and we can run it. Or if, you know, they're trying to do it themselves and learn it themselves, just giving them the best advice that we can, which is, you know, a lot about communicating with gym owners, communicating with marketing teams, how to get guest setters and how to compensate them and, you know, all that logistical stuff. I think a lot of people think that Siege has some like extra employees or personnel, but uh, it's just the three of us and we've had to figure out everything ourselves and it's been a journey. And we always want to tell people, we support you, but you're getting yourself into like a big thing and you have to like think through a lot of different things. And you're also going to have some pushback maybe from your community. I mean, we've had our fair share of people who, you know, haven't been supportive of the series or people, high level route setters who have said, you know, I'm pretty skeptical of this because I don't know these route setters. And we're like, yeah, that's kind of the point. <laughs> so just like knowing how to deal with, with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that if somebody wants to do something like this, that they should go for it. Like, just go for it. We have so many people who reach out to us and like, we have so many people who like want to like have these opportunities and like, we can't give it to everybody. So I think that the more people who are like starting to do it, the better and go for it. Every single event that we've done has been successful. We've had like huge success and like a lot of people who want to be involved. So I would say go for it, do it. And like, we're here also to like help you and like give advice for like anything that you want to do. And you should just go for it. And keep applying to other things too. And we're always here if you have like a different type of event that you're trying to get into and you need a contact. And I also just wanted to add, you know, we had almost 70 people apply last year and we can only take, how many did we take? 14, I think. No, less than 14. I don't remember. And if you did not get selected, it was nothing personal, right? It was, we had to weigh everyone's skill set match them with a mentor or a mentee. We had to look at compensation and we had to look geographically of like, how much is it going to cost to get this person here for travel? And so it was based on a lot of different factors. And same thing with this year. Like we have to take a lot into account while choosing a route setter and matching them with different people on the team. The next topic I want to talk about is something that it's kind of frustrating to me because it's a topic that comes up repeatedly when we talk about affinity groups and women or non-binary set competitions with the widely represented demographic. I want to ask you guys this question on record because the first time I was asked such a question, I was just taken aback. I didn't know what to say and kind of felt like a deer in the headlights situation. And I know I will continue to encounter these questions. And I know all of us will continue to encounter these questions. So I want our audience to hear it from the founders themselves. And this will perhaps give other gender or minority setters in general a blueprint to work off of when they encounter a question like this. What do you say to the people who think that all women or non-binary competitions create more exclusion instead of inclusion? I say, this has actually come up even in my own role as a head setter. But I say, if you look at every crew photo of any comp or just at a, at you know, the home gym, if you look at competitors in a citizen level comp, who's even there and who's competing, what kind of faces do you see? Do you see a bunch of women? Do you see 50-50 or do you see mostly 
white men. More often than not, more often than most, it's it's all white men. I mean, when you look at USAC photos of like crews at every other comp, every comp really, it's 90% men usually. Maybe there's one or two women in the crew. So it's like, we're just, all we're trying to do is create inclusion. We have been excluded on all those crews. We haven't felt included or safe enough to compete in these competitions. The white men have been included all this time. All we're doing is trying to add, add more, add more and create this space to eventually, hopefully in the future, we want to look back and look or look at the current climate and say, wow, there's already diversity. I don't want to always have an affinity group because we're not included. Do you know what I mean? Like, I would love to like look at crews and be like, wow, there's like a really even split between genders and races and all this stuff, but there isn't. So how how else will we do that? But to force it, we have to force it. I like to say that we've been excluded all this time and this is just another method of adding something that wasn't already there to think of it as an adding on rather than a removal. It's not like we have less all gender competitions in a year. We're not trying to remove from what's already there. We're just adding on to it. I think that's my take on it. I think that's really well said. I think one thing that people might misunderstand about equity is, or inclusion or any of those diversity buzzwords that we might see on Google search nowadays is when you make something equitable, it's not taking away from the existing it's just adding to it. It's giving more opportunities and opening more doors. So I really like what you said. That's really well said. I think going into the second season, I'm sure you guys have a lot of, you know, looking back and reflecting. I wanted to ask, what are your major takeaways from last season? And what will you be doing differently or keeping the same this season? I think that the biggest the biggest thing that we learned is that we have to do a better job of protecting like agreements and expectations that we have in terms of like, whether it's with the gyms or other route setters or like how the event's supposed to go. So one of the big things that we did was we wrote up a formal host agreement because we all three, all three of the comps this year are at gyms that none of us work at. Last season, we kind of had the support of our own gyms. And so I think that there was a lot that we just kind of like took for granted that would happen. And we had like some hiccups where we like had to figure some stuff out and didn't have like as much support as we assumed we would get or like vice versa. So that's something that we wised up about and um, did. We're adding another category at the request of people it's called we're named we named it fine wines and it's for is it 50 plus right is that what we said I can't remember if it was 45 or 50 but it's like 50 plus so it's like our master's category which I'm really excited about and we are doing a better job of kind of like advocating for ourselves and for the route setters that are coming in to set the comps last year we didn't really care if we had lodging. We just kind of like all slept on the floor on the same air mattress. And we didn't really care if we got paid at all, honestly. Like we just were like doing it. And now we're like 
how about if we take care of ourselves a little bit, like while we're doing this, because it was so successful. So that's something that was really exciting for me. And especially the fact that like we get to do this at three gyms that we don't work at, I think is like a really big step. It's something that's new for us that we don't have like any in-house ties. But at the same time, I think it's really great because we're doing it in communities that we're not already involved in. So like we're going into communities that like we can make a difference in that we don't get to make a difference in like every day, basically. Yeah, absolutely. You guys got to make it sustainable for yourselves too, right? Haley? Going off of what Hannah said, because last year was so successful, we had a lot of gyms reach out. I think we had 11 gyms want to host. And so it allowed us to be a little bit more picky. For example, you know, we don't want this event to just be like the one token event for gyms to be like, wow, look at us. We're, we're doing something diverse. You know, we're having these people come in. In our host agreement, we wrote that every gym has to have at least one event prior to Siege. That is a, a women non-binary event. And the gym can kind of come up with their own programming and we're here to assist that. And then they have to do an event afterwards. So it's like to keep the ball rolling. And if a gym wouldn't commit to that, then we were able to say, sorry, this isn't really our vibe. You know, we're going to go with a different gym. And, you know, we had to say no to a lot of gyms because their idea of what Siege was going to be was not our goal. You know, we see like pro elements be added to things. And, you know, our our whole thing was, you know, we want to give the people that are paying for this gym, right? The members of the gym, like this is an event for them. And, you know, pro climbers, they get experiences to compete all the time. And while that's cool and that's flashy and lots of people like to watch that, that's not really our goal, right? Like our goal is to make all of these other people who don't get opportunities to compete to feel like this is an event for them. And so we, this year, got to choose gyms who understood the mission, agreed to do this programming, agreed to pay us fairly, agreed to give lodging that they would provide other setting crews if it was a USAC event or even just a citizens comp. You know, like we see owners put out all this money for these, these route setters. And it's like, this event is, is no different. We're the same as all these other events. We bring in just as much revenue, if not more, to the gym. And so there's no excuse to not compensate the route setters fairly when the gym is making money from the event. That's good. You know, weeding out people who are doing this for a performative kind of check. And that's generally hard to figure out. It's just what are people's intentions behind hosting something like this? I think we're almost out of time here. And honestly, I could talk to you three forever. Uh, Is there anything you guys want to add before we close up this interview? It's really important that everybody is always in like every chance that they get, like advocating for diversity, both in the setting crews and in like competitions. If you're the only person on your crew and you feel like you're going to be alone and like there's no reason there shouldn't be another female or there's no reason that there shouldn't be another non-binary person like on the crew, like ask the person in charge, like, why am I the only this? What can we do to kind of like diversify this? If you like see your gym, like only bringing in like male guest setters, only doing like 
male coaches, all of these things, like, don't be afraid to ask, like, hey, like, are we going to bring, like, any, like, women instructors in this year? Are we going to pay to, like, bring any diversity, like, to the industry this year? Or are we just, like, going to continue this cycle that, like, everybody else is in? Like, what can we do that's different? Because those little things can create an opportunity for anybody. Um, It can mean the difference between, like, somebody getting a spot on a competition crew later because they have that on their resume or they get to make a connection because of that. So I would really love to see like more of that and hopefully it like spreads. And then like, we don't become the only ones saying like, Hey, why isn't there a female on that crew? Hey, that's literally an entire crew of dudes. Like, why is not anybody saying anything about it? To piggyback off of that, it's just, this, I think, also is a shout out to all of our male colleagues who are in charge because we're always the one, we're always telling other women and non-binary people to like advocate for themselves, but you can only, only kind of scream at nothing for so long until you don't really feel heard by the people who make the rules. If you're a male head setter or if you're a chief, you're, if you're a high-level chief, chiefing a championship event, like you know, take a chance on somebody, you know, like the pipeline is already hard enough to get into a gym route setting or whatever. Like we've heard like male setters be like, I support women. I have a wife or I support women. Like I'm a feminist, but <laughs> that, that kind of just kind of goes nowhere. You're just like, all right. So then what I could say those things about whatever causes too, but I, I, I know that I'm like not doing shit, you know, <laughs> like I'm just like not doing anything. And the same goes for women and non-binary people in the industry. Like if oh, you're I a gym owner, if you're a gym manager and you're like even hiring people at the front desk, like you go to a gym and all the people at the front desk are like, just like white dudes. Like you yes. don't, doesn't feel like welcoming to go in there, you know, Preach. it's, it's like a whole kind of the pipeline of it. I think it starts at the people of power. So as soon as they can like try to help us, like even 50, 50, I think it's going to make, make progress a lot faster, you know? That's something I've definitely heard before. I have a wife or I have a girlfriend. That's definitely something I've heard before. It's like, great. Good thing you got married so that finally you kind of care about us, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> Leadership and headsetters out there, you guys heard it here first from Sheesh Climbing. <laughs> and I hope to have you guys back on this podcast at some point soon. And the best of luck to the upcoming season. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Siege Climbing. Check us out next time. We'll be back with another episode and another guest soon. If you enjoy what you heard, share this with a friend, tell a coworker, or give us a shout on social media. Thanks again. Until next time. <laughs>